Welcome to the Need More Buffs podcast, the unofficial Lightseekers podcast sponsored by DeliveryCrab.com. DeliveryCrab.com, your number one source for Lightseekers cards and three points of healing. Welcome back, Seekers, episode 51 of Need More Buffs. I'm your host, Matt Sonnenberg. It's been a surprisingly busy time of year as we're trying to get everything situated for 2019. Lightseekers is going to be very, very busy in 2019. Not only do we have PlayFusion kind of revamping their tournament scene, but Delivery Crab is going to be revamping our tournament scene as well. I can't give you a lot of information right now, but definitely keep an eye out for some announcements regarding that in the next week or two, hopefully. In the meantime, though, I do want to let those of you who are in the Indiana and New Jersey areas. A little bit of heads up. This is not set in stone yet, but currently we are looking at hosting our first tournament in 2019, our first physical tournament in 2019 in Indiana in January, and then our second one would be in New Jersey in February. Like I said, those dates, times, locations are subject to change at this point, but that's what we're planning right now, so please kind of put a hold on your calendar there if you're if you're interested in coming to those tournaments and I will get you dates as soon as I possibly can. But on top of planning for Light Seekers in 2019, I've had another big project on my plate and that is actually launching a second website. For those of you who know me personally, you may have heard me talk about this a little bit that I I've created a sister site basically it's it's the same thing I'm doing with Delivery Crab, but I want to support PlayFusion even more, and I am going to be supporting their other TCG, the Warhammer Age of Sigmar Champions TCG. So that can be found over at cardhammer.com. That's cardhammer, C-A-R-D-H-A-M-M-E-R.com. So if you're interested in that card game as well, I know a few of you play both, but maybe you don't play it, you just know someone who plays it, please send them over to that site. There's lots of good stuff going on over there, and I think if they play that game, they're going to enjoy that site just as you enjoy Delivery Crab over here for Lightseekers. Then finally, with all this stuff going on, I just haven't been able to keep up with the podcast like I've wanted to, so... For the time being, I think we're going to move it to kind of a bi-weekly schedule. I, I want to give you consistent content, but I just can't do that on a weekly basis right now with all the different projects I have going on at the moment. So we're going to move it to a bi-weekly schedule for now. Hopefully, eventually, once we get things in place and get things rolling the way I want them to, we'll be able to go back to that weekly schedule. But for now little bit less content, but we will get it to you consistently. In any case, it's time to dive into this week's episode. On episode 51, you'll be able to find the show notes for this episode at deliverycrab.com slash 051. We're taking a little bit of a break from our champion interviews because there was a deck that really caught my eye when I was playing at PAX Unplugged. This deck is piloted by Nuan. You may have seen him in the app under the name Dark Catcher. In any case, he has a very unique deck, I think, as far as I've seen. 
not many people are playing this hero at the moment, and the few that are, I'm pretty sure are not playing with this build. So I wanted to take a little closer look at what he's done with this deck and show you that, I mean, things are possible, that's for sure. He's had a, a pretty good amount of success with it, and it definitely has potential and shows you just kind of what you can do with some of these heroes. So once again, the show notes for this episode can be found at deliverycrab.com slash 051. But let's get right into the interview with Nuan. Welcome to the show, Nuan. How are you doing tonight? I'm good. How's everything going? Not too bad. Just coming back from PAX, and there's a lot to talk about. A lot of new people <laughs> I met and a lot of things to kind of get a hang of. So this is your first time on the show. We have a mm-hmm. lot to discuss with you, with Lightseekers. Uh, unfortunately, at this time, I'm, I'm not having you on as one of our, our, our Lightseekers champions or Delivery Crab champions quite yet. Yeah, it but, was a tough loss at PAX, but I'll be back for some more. Exactly, and that's what I'm looking <laughs> forward to, because the decks that I've seen from you, this one in particular that we're, we're talking about tonight, is kind of, it goes down a path of decks that I like to build. That's not mm-hmm. something that you've seen before from everybody else. It's not something that I've seen at any tournament yet. So I'm looking forward to yeah. talking about that. I'm hoping that's a good thing. But <laughs> Yes, yes. In my opinion, it is. I, I mean, it's, I think it's good for the game. I think it's good for mm-hmm. the local scene the, and the bigger scene as well. But we'll, we'll see what you have to say about it. Um, yeah, sure. But before we get into that, I, I always like to jump back a little bit and let the people kind of get to know you a little bit better. So mm-hmm. where did you get your start in gaming in general? Was it board games, video games? Tell me about it. So probably around the time I was 15 in high school, a friend started playing Yu-Gi-Oh! Okay. A lot of my friends are just very, very competitive at all their games, and um, I, I wanted to be a part of it. And anytime I start something new, I really want to try to like strive to be the best if I could. From high school up until probably middle of college, I was just very, very heavy into Yu-Gi-Oh! And that was the only thing I played around the time I was in college, maybe my sophomore year. A couple of my other friends were introducing me to some other TCGs. Um, I guess TCGs is, is usually my go-to, but I play a good amount of board games when I get the time. So starting from Yu-Gi-Oh!, I moved to to Magic the Gathering, and I was playing that for quite some time. Magic is, is more casual for me. I never really got into the big tournament scene. Uh, Yu-Gi-Oh!, it's, it's very, very competitive, and it's a little more... I don't want to say cutthroat, but uh, people just tend to be not as nice when it comes down to uh, just sharing your your deck idea. They're just trying to like build out the community. It, it didn't really seem like a good game for that. Sure. Um, and then after after college, I, I guess there was just sort of a lull period for me where I, I didn't really have the time to to get into any game, but I would I would like pay attention to the forums and and see sort of what's out there and that's when i came across uh dice masters i'm not sure if you've ever heard of it i hadn't really heard of it until just recently i mean at pax unplugged i guess mm-hmm. there was some kind of what well, was it even the national championship or something it was uh, the world championship world i actually champ- played wow. in that as well yeah. okay okay but yeah, so I randomly found a, uh, a starter set in a, in a comic book store in the city one day, and I picked it up, and I really, really enjoyed it. And this was the first sort of game that I entered where the, the community was just so 
uh, I guess like I want to say full of life where everyone <laughs> everyone was so friendly and like they they shared ideas people wanted to like really try to build out that community and I I enjoyed that I appreciated that a lot. Yeah. So I played uh pseudo competitively. I, I did I did pretty well. I didn't top a regionals but I came in second and that's what uh qualified me for nationals and from there I qualified for the world championship at PAX last weekend. Yeah. Congratulations yeah. on that. Hey, thank you. I uh, I came in eighth, and I think eighth in the world is pretty solid. I'm I'm happy about that. I would say so. <laughs> I would be very happy with that in any competition. Yeah, it was a good feeling. This past August, maybe even July, a friend of mine that I would play uh, Dice Masters with uh, introduced Lightseekers to me. He told me about a couple of starter packs, and he just had a feeling that I would I would like it. He told me that there was an app. <laughs> and that's what really drew me in because the trading card game community in New York is not so big anymore. Uh, I'm not sure what it is. It's just, yeah. And you'd expect with so many people that you would yeah, have. You'd have some kind of scene, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just, it's so difficult to find anything. Yu Gi Oh! is still probably kind of big if you go uh, to some, some stores in the city. But every other game, I just, I see it dwindling and dwindling. For Dice Masters and for Lightseekers, I don't think there's a community at all. Uh, well, that's that, that's yeah. interesting. We'll have to keep an eye on that one for you. But yeah. Uh, like you said, that the app is there. And so for, yeah. for Lightseekers, it, it was just your friends got you into it, basically. That's what it was. And then there's literally someone always playing on the app. Like mm-hmm. I've I've logged on at two o'clock in the morning and I've played some ranked <laughs> games. Yeah, and, and that's that's what I've been impressed with too. Kind of kind of from the beginning, like there are people on right away, and I've always felt like if you want to play ranked, you can find mm-hmm. someone to play ranked. But Absolutely. especially even on the casual side, like mm-hmm. there is always someone on there waiting to play. Yep. So that, that that's good to see. I, that's great for kind of these early stages that when we're still trying to build the community and build the player base, that we mm-hmm. have that option to do so even when you might not have a scene locally or mm-hmm. you want to play at 2 in the morning when you, <laughs> even if you did have a local scene, there might not be people willing to play with you at 2 in the morning. So I wouldn't trust going outside to play with people <laughs> randomly in New York City at 2 in the morning. Yes, yes. <laughs> All right. Well, so you got into Lightseekers. Mm-hmm. Well, I shouldn't say you started playing. What kind of was your first impression of the game? I just assumed, just because I, I've had some familiarity with other TCGs, that the the way to win or the way to play competitively is just to play fast and dirty. <laughs> uh, I just I googled Lightseekers Turbo. Because it's, I guess that's just the, the word that they used in Yu-Gi-Oh. I'm not sure if it's big in other TCGs. But the first deck that came up was Zuna. So I just I got a, a sort of feel for the way that she, she sort of played out. And she was the first deck that I built both physically and in the app. I, I quickly learned that on the app, it's just very easy to, <laughs> to just heal until somebody mills out. Sure. So, so Zuna wasn't really working out well for me. So I just from there I, I went through the the Light Seekers database and read just every single card that was there, trying to to build something good. So I tested out a lot of different things from Zuna. I I went to Dolo just because I saw a lot of a lot of lists and a lot of places were topping with Dolo. Eventually, I just I felt most comfortable with sort of a mid range deck. So I I switched to Sicario, and Sicario was the first. The first deck that I brought to an event, to one of the Delivery Crab events, actually. Mm-hmm. I did not do well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Actually, I, I, I shouldn't say that. I was I was undefeated in Swiss, and then okay. I just got annihilated in the semifinals. Sure. Yeah, it happens. Yeah, yeah it happens Part to the best of, of us, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like you said, though, I think, honestly, Zuna was a good place to start. And mm-hmm. I, I, I would honestly recommend that for anybody. If you're just getting started, play mm-hmm. the Zuna deck. Because, okay. like, it, it's... It might not be something you want to stick with long term, mm-hmm. but it'll teach you how to play aggro, and it'll mm-hmm. teach you basically how other people are going to be playing against you at some point. Mm-hmm. At some point, oh, yeah. you are going to run across this deck, and <laughs> it's going to help you immensely to not only know what's in the deck, what kind of cards they're they're, they're probably playing with, but... Mm-hmm how to play against it what you you know what to expect because you've been in their shoes and you've been able to play that deck yeah and all in all i think just zuna uh and this is one of the reasons that i'm actually all for the rotation that's coming about i think zuna is just the the most efficient character or the most efficient hero in the game right now because of her ability, because of the superiority in two elements, two mm-hmm. very, very good elements. I was actually looking it up a little bit earlier, but uh, if you if you just take that deck, at least see the, the build that most people are playing right now, and then you just look at the, uh, the damage that Zuna can output with just her, her action cards, like no buffs, no combos. With with four cards, uh, three of each card, she she probably hits for like sixty nine damage. I think it's <laughs> a lot. <laughs> and yeah. there's just there's not a lot many decks can do about that. Yeah. So okay, that's good to know. You kind of worked your way through many of the main heroes, as mm-hmm. as many people do, but obviously you didn't stop there. Mm-hmm. You you started going further, and. Was it after that first tournament then that you started experimenting more with different heroes? Or or when did that start coming about? I think it was that in general, and we'll probably get into this when we look more into my deck list, but mm-hmm. I felt very, very comfortable playing the uh, the Dread Damage Suite, like the Abyss Tentacles and mm-hmm. the abilities that trigger with that. Um, so essentially, I was trying to recreate that Sicario build, at least see the efficiency that that deck brought out, but play some play some cards that can hold off more of the uh, the aggro decks. Sure. Yeah, and that's where where Magrock, my hero that I played at, at PAX, comes into play. Essentially, I if if you if you look, it's a, it's pretty similar to a Sicario deck, but it just gives me access to so so many more possibilities, so many more answers to yeah, some of these I aggro mean, decks. I, I will give you some of the dread cards are the same, but <laughs> there's a lot of other things in this deck. <laughs> And okay, I, I'm actually going to make them wait a little bit longer before we get into that because <laughs> I, I kind of want to get your thoughts on. Have you been to many conventions before? So I did Pax Unplugged last year as well. Okay, last year was the the not uh, actually yeah last year was the Nationals for Dice Masters. So okay. I just I came back for Worlds. So I'm and I'm also like I said I'm I'm a huge board game fan so I, I like seeing all these games that I've never heard of trying new things yeah, so yeah, I did that. Yeah, is right up your alley it sounds like. Oh yeah. This I'm pretty sure that was the only one. I I did Comic-Con, I don't know if that counts. Sure. It's a different, you know, exhibitors and such but Yeah. <laughs> convention is convention. I'm just curious because yeah. I know a, a lot of people Lightseekers has really gotten them into the convention scene. Like mm-hmm. they I know some people who the the first PAX Unplugged was their first convention ever, but mm-hmm. then they've been hitting up like every PAX since, just 
you know, sometimes just for light seekers. Yeah. So it, it's interesting to see how that plays out and how many more people that, that it's bringing in. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you, you've kind of been to conventions before. You understand how they work. Did you, coming into PAX Unplugged, was your, your main focus on, on Dice Masters then? Or were you kind of split your attention between that and Lightseekers? Or was it Lightseekers just happened to be there? So you, you so, decided to check it out. So by the time PAX rolled out, I was actually pretty like heavily focused on, on Lightseekers. In fact, I, I hadn't touched my Dice Masters deck before Worlds. Uh, the, fir- the last time I did was Nationals, like a couple of months prior to that. So I was really unprepared for Dice Masters. <laughs> but this game, something about it is just, it really drew me in. And um, PAX, uh, the event especially, just sort of the, the feel and how they, they ran it, it really, really hooked me. In fact, after the, the championship on Friday, I, I played four other Lightseekers events. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so uh, it was definitely Lightseekers uh, that kept me going. Awesome. I like to hear that, yeah. There is something special about Lightseekers that once you get started, you just you just want to keep playing. Everybody loves it yeah. once they try it. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting to see how this plays out from what other people thought about the Unplugged schedule as well, because this is actually the first time that they've put the, the, the big tournament, the championship, on the first day of the show. Mm-hmm. typically it's been on day two or three or yeah. well, three or four usually i guess because m- most conventions are have an extra day on them but mm-hmm. personally i kind of liked it because mm-hmm. as bad as it sounds you know we, we got the the big tournament out of the way and then yeah. you could kind of enjoy the convention the rest of the time even though i did come back and play a lot of light scenes <laughs> mm-hmm. but otherwise it's like you know sitting there thinking every day it's like all right well what am i gonna do what, what deck am i gonna play and and your mind's just somewhere else yeah thinking about that final day of when the tournament's gonna be mm-hmm. and so i think it, it was kind of nice to to get that out front get that done with and then just kind of enjoy the rest of the convention yeah i agree awesome all right but speaking of that tournament you did pretty well like I said, he didn't win, but I'm okay with that if you're okay with yeah, that. Cause I'm okay with that. <laughs> your deck still caught my attention, that's for sure. If you want to just give me a quick rundown of the cards that are in this deck, and then we'll break it down even further. Okay. I guess the first thing to sort of uh, make sense to the, the deck and how it operates is just talk about the, the hero and then the, the items that gives me uh, access to the other elements. The hero is Magrock. For I guess for the people who aren't familiar, who the fact is, you heal for two when you deal damage when your life is less than ten. And I guess for for those who haven't played against it, it is a nightmare to kill. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you, if you sit down against Magrak, like you know, you're in for a long game. Yeah, and this was actually I, I think probably um, the the downfall of the deck as well, especially when you're when you're playing the physical game, you have to speed through a best of three in a deck that's meant to um to really like take a toll on your opponent's deck and like eliminate their resources and try to um kill them that way like bit by bit. Yeah. In the final game that I played, the one that would have decided whether or not I made it into the the top four, I I lost in time. Sure. And that was a horrible feeling just because I, I just I, I knew that if like we kept on going, I would have like uh, pulled it out. 
but it happens. It's part of the game, especially like if you're if you're going to one of these big tournaments, you have to account for the fact that a game can go into time. And I lost to a very good player. I'm not going to say his name, but his tag is Johnny Wise Guy. If you ever see him on the app, uh, <laughs> it happens. It's also it's funny just to think about like what my matchups were. I played one Sun Hunter deck in round one, and then every other round was a Dolo. I did surprisingly well against all of them. Like I said, it, it, it came down to playing in the round in the in the the last round and he just he had more life than me at the end of it like i said that's something you have to account for and what i've found people have built so many of these decks that that can take a long time to play Mm -hmm. but they're they're so used to playing them in the app where Mm -hmm. you know it 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 rotates everything for you it does the math for you It, it moves all the cards around for you which saves a lot of time over the course of i mean two or three games like mm-hmm. it saves an, Im- an immense amount of time. So you don't realize if you haven't played in physical tournaments before that you really have to think about that. And mm-hmm. the best way to do that, like, I, I mean, the best examples I've seen are, you know, granite decks. Like they yeah. want to stretch things out because that's when they, they gain most of their power. Mm-hmm. And the best way for you to be able to do that is not only know your deck inside and out, that when you, you, you are hitting them for multiple hits or when you're amplifying stuff, you know exactly what those numbers are and how mm-hmm. things work, how things rotate, where cards go, when they go, and just do the best you, you can't control what they do, mm-hmm. but you can control what you do and oh, just yeah. make it the most efficient use of your time. So mm-hmm. like when it comes back to being your turn, you know what you're going to do. Like mm-hmm. you have all these scenarios planned out in your head because mm-hmm. you've played this deck so many times. Yeah. So it's definitely a challenge, but it can be done and it can be done very well. Yeah. I think one of the reasons, especially that this deck really, really draws out all of your time is that it, it is very hard to predict from the perspective of the person who's playing it, what this deck is going to do next, <laughs> just because of how random it is. Sure, sure. And, and, <laughs> and we'll get into some of that as, as you uh, fill out some of these cards here. Mm. Yeah, so Magrock is the hero. I have four items in the deck. So I have two Crystal Scepters that give me access to Lunar. It is... Um, Those are cr- I, Crescent Scepters, right? Crescent Scepters, yes. Yep. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. I got the idea from a Sicario deck that did really, really well at a tournament that played a played an item that it didn't need access to the element for. It already had already had access to it, mm-hmm. but it just played it to to deal out two damage and then to trigger the uh, abyss tentacles. Sure. So just having having one abyss tentacle on the field, not having to not having to like draw more cards and and really like waste out of your hand and just c- consistently hit for four is so. Uh, efficient and i think that's the reason why it does so well against aggro decks and then against those long drawn out control decks Mm -hmm. because in in either case they're really hoping that you you burn out faster than they do and it just it lets you it lets you just continue playing at your own pace constantly pinging for four and nobody wants to waste a like a crystal leech on just one abyss tentacle (laughs) yes if at all possible yeah yeah especially i mean given the fact that there's a good chance if you have one abyss tentacle in your deck, you have another one or two in there as well. So mm-hmm. if they remove the one, you're just going to throw another one out there. Exactly. And then also, because I have access to Lunar, uh, I put in two Lunar Shriekers. So in the event that somebody got rid of my abyss tentacle, I would just bring it right back. Yeah. Yeah. 
So on top of that, I also played a crystal core because especially against an aggro deck, your, your life is going to end up consistently under 10. <laughs> and yeah. uh, you have to worry, especially depending on, on where some of these, these decks are with these heavy hitting combos that they can they can kill you in one swing. And crystal core really like comes in handy. It saved me and uh, it actually won two games against Dolo for me. They They would try to kill me, burn out their hand, and then I would just get them for the following turn. Mm-hmm. So I have that crystal core, and then completely random, and it's, it, it's been throwing a lot of people off. Even when I play this deck in the app, is a dusk glade tome. It gives you, uh, it gives me access to nature element. All it does is defend. If my health is less than twenty, I heal for one, and I get to draw a card every time. So it's it's super confusing because I don't run any other nature cards in this deck. Um, yeah, I, I I looked over this list like three times to make sure I didn't miss something or you weren't missing a card <laughs> or something like that. And I'm like, nope. Yeah, okay, it's just the item. Yeah, and I love when somebody like Battleborn oppressors it and <laughs> <laughs> they think they're they they're like messing me over, but uh, uh, it's just perfectly fine. Yeah, I like I've never thought about it just from that perspective, trying to get him to to waste a card on that. Like mm-hmm. you never know what's coming with this item. Oh, nothing. <laughs> yeah, and just in case cuz you have to worry about like crushing blow and items like that. I do mm-hmm. run the the two crescent scepters because in a slow deck, and this is a slow deck generally, you don't want to have a bunch of dead lunar cards in your hand yeah. and then just constantly get hit for six from like a, a tech card. So that's the item suite. Two blacksmiths just to get things out when I need them, need them to show up. Again, focus of the deck is the, the dread damage suite. So three abyss tentacles, two weavers to, to heal me up when I need it. I only run one night lurker. This this was sort of a last minute change. I'm, I'm pretty sure I, I changed this list like ten minutes before the tournament. Oh, we all did. Don't worry. <laughs> I needed to make room for the the secret MVP of this deck, which is Dust Talon Assassin. Okay. This card is so great in this deck. So uh, I guess I'll, I'll paint you a little picture of how most of the games went. Yeah. So I would have an Abyss Tentacle and a Crescent Scepter on the field. So people just assume that I'm going to hit them for four. But with Dust Talon Assassin, you, you use the ability of Crescent Scepter. You use it again with Dust Talon Assassin, and instead of hitting for four, you hit for 11 altogether. And just no one sees it coming. I've won a game just playing a Dust Talon Assassin. <laughs> it's, it is it is definitely, if, you, if you're going to dole out damage in this deck and, and, and go for game, you it's the MVP, hands down. Okay, just to walk people through that too, if if you're not familiar with Dusk Helen Assassin, like I it's a card I've been seeing played more and more recently. Mm-hmm. Like people are slowly catching on to it, but Okay, so it does the three so, three damage yeah. from the card itself. Yes, three damage for itself, and, and then, then it, it triggers also, all your abilities. So uh, not all of your abilities, oh, just one. Sorry, one of your abilities. Got it. Yes. So you're triggering uh, the Crescent Scepter? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Crescent Scepter, the first time you use the ability, you're you're triggering for two damage, and then you're triggering your Abyss Tentacle for another two damage. Mm-hmm. So that starts off with four. You play your Dust Talon Assassin, that's another three, it brings you up to seven, and then Crescent Scepter and your Abyss Tentacle triggers one more time. Okay, there's the 11, got it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, 11 in a turn isn't bad, especially if you have another Dust Talon Assassin in your hand, you can mm-hmm. easily repeat that next time. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> like your setup doesn't go away at all, and mm-hmm. I mean honestly, it's not that hard to set up even. 
Nope. So <laughs> it's all of two, <laughs> two cards and one of them is an item, which exactly. is that much harder to remove. Mm-hmm. So that that's, yeah, and that's interesting. Yeah, I, it, it works so well. And on top of that, while I'm getting that set up, getting the Dust Talon Assassins in my hand, I run a suite of cards that prevent people from attacking at all. Because I have access to Lunar, I run two Subjugators, so just no attacking at all. And I also run three Exterior Defenders, so when they play an attack card, it negate, it cancels that um, first attack that they do. Uh, so, And actually, on top of that, I run Shroud of Night. So, <laughs> <laughs> so five cards in this deck just prevent people from attacking, so I have plenty of time to set up where I need to. Definitely. And, and that's... So, I... I guess I was kind of missing how how that damage can compound very nicely because mm-hmm. I was looking at the, the action cards in this deck and I'm like, okay, there's a lot of items. There's some item removal. Like your tentacles can do a little bit of damage. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and and I was just starting to miss like, where are you killing them? Like, are you relying completely <laughs> on the combos to kill them? Is that what it is? You just stay alive until you get your combos? But uh. <laughs> not entirely, it looks like. Not entirely, yeah. I think the combos definitely do help, and they distract people from trying to get rid of my tentacles because the the combos do hit pretty heavily. So I don't think we went over that yet. But I run Meteor Shower. That's the Astral Mountain buff. Overall, it hits for 16. And then I run Apocalypse. Overall, it hits for 17. That's Dread and Mountain. And then I run Blood Moon, which when I have a buff on top of my discard pile, it'll hit for 13. Yeah, that's a lot of damage there. Yeah, just a lot of damage on its own. And then I think people just get very, very comfortable with this deck where they just assume that they're only going to take four damage or they're only going to take two damage, like bit by bit. And then when it comes down to the end game, instead of defending when they have like 10 damage left, they'll, they'll just keep going hard on the aggro. And then they don't realize that they're going to hit, get hit for 11 or 13 the, the following turn and just die. Yeah. So a lot of this game, uh, a lot of this deck is really just psyching out my opponent. You can see that happening very easily because, I mean, who who's going to think they're in kill range when all you have is one tentacle on the board? Exactly. Yeah. That is set up very nicely, it sounds like. And Thank you. can't play out very well. I didn't, thankfully didn't have to play against this deck. But... <laughs> yeah, I was surprised and very happy with how well I did with this deck against all of the aggro that I played. Mm-hmm. I was I was actually expecting to to play more Zuna, and this deck does pretty well against her. Everyone else apparently played Zuna. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, there there were a few Zunas at the tournament, and I I mean mm-hmm. I played some, but yeah. Yeah, it was like 40% Dolo, 40% Azuna, <laughs> and then everything else was just like a sprinkle. <laughs> well, okay. So if someone wanted to kind of replicate this deck, mm-hmm. do, do you have any advice for them? Things to watch out for, things you didn't do but could do better or something? So I think this deck, it is very difficult to, to figure out what to, to side out. Okay. Uh, against certain decks because really with with nine with nine cards you can change the pace of this deck so when i'm playing an aggro deck the best thing to do is is try to survive and then get into that get into that zone where you're consistently stopping them from attacking you're still paying them bit by bit and then you get them into kill range so it's really the trick to this deck and i think probably the trick to to light seekers in general is to just 
really, really have the foresight into what your opponent might play next. Sure. And and don't pull the trigger on anything too quickly, especially against those big aggro decks. If you if you have some healing, it might make more sense to draw two cards instead of playing your healing if you know you can survive for two more turns. Because getting the setup in this deck is really, really important. Yeah, I'm, I can imagine. But yeah, I'm very happy with it. I think because of how brutal losing in time in the final round was to me, I would probably not play another... <laughs> sort of mid-range control deck in a tournament like that. And I actually have an idea for an aggro deck that, that plays pretty much the exact same way with uh, running three orders and I guess sort of psyching your opponent out in what you're doing, but it's just more on the aggro side. Well, I am definitely looking forward to seeing that come out. Hopefully soon. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that wraps things up pretty nicely then. Thank you, Nuan, for coming on the show tonight. And Thanks for I... Hope to see you at another tournament very soon. Yes, definitely. And there you have it. I hope that Magrock design was able to imbue you with some new deck building ideas. As always, the show notes, including the deck list that we discussed today, can be found at deliverdcrab.com slash 051. That's deliverdcrab.com slash 051. I hope that you'll keep an eye out for the upcoming announcements regarding all our new tournament schedules, and I hope that I'll be able to meet every single one of you soon at a Delivery Crab tournament, or really any Light Seekers tournament. But until that time comes, I've got some more deliveries to make.